by the bright skies of Overland, by the great lion, by Aslan himself. Set me free. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. This is Glumpuddle. And this is Rillian. And we've finally reached it. We finally reached the podcast episode where we get to talk about mostly Puddle Glum and Rillian, hosted by glum puddle and really <laughs> these aliases it's not that confusing but we finally picked the episode where it's going to come back to bite us so we're going to be very disciplined mm-hmm. about <laughs> who we're talking about here and we'll be doing so without a gym fan gym fan is busy moving right now and we wish her well it's just the two of us are with who have uh namesakes in this episode um so let's tread carefully through these waters let's tread carefully through the sunless sea which is exactly what our characters are doing at the beginning of episode five of bbc's the silver chair episode starts with jill scrub and puddle glum crossing the sunless sea and they meet a mysterious prince who's totally not really in definitely definitely not no could be maybe but it's a big question in the audience's mind we're gonna spend a lot of time on him he's just a random guy you know he's clearly not anybody important blends in with all the other people there in the underworld kingdom looked a bit like hamlet the book (laughs) says um but uh he tells them he is under a mysterious enchantment and has no memory of his former life the Earthmen bind him to the titular silver chair, and yada, 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 you know what happens. He calls on the name of Aslan, and they set him free. He destroys the chair, and the cliffhanger ending is the Lady of the Green Kirtle appearing, and it be- and wonders, who dare destroy the silver chair? And that's how it ends. Silver chair! <laughs> yes. And uh, and she remains alive at the end of this episode. Which I, I was got wrong. I completely got it wrong. I, I thought for sure that they... I don't know. I guess I expected more to be crammed into this episode, but uh... yeah, I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they can spend more time on the Lady of the Green Kirtle trying to deceive them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you need to. You need to, because like you can't just get to finding Prince Brilliant and then just like you know five lines of dialogue and then boom. He, yeah. He's he's free and everything. Yeah. Main thing I wanted to focus on in this discussion was um, what I consider to be one of the the tricky scenes that jumps out at me immediately when I'm thinking about turning the Chronicles of Narnia into movies, you know, there's a few mm-hmm. scenes that jump out at you of immediate, that there's a few scenes that kind of jump out at you immediately as, Oh, that's going to be tricky. What are they going to do? Or just like, for, for, for example, the, the four chapter flashback in Prince Caspian, how are they going to handle that? You know, and they chose to just ditch it all together. Or what about the undragoning of Eustace? How are they going to visualize that? And you know, that's for a whole other discussion, how they did with that. It's been done different ways with different films. Yeah, pretty much most of the last battle. You know, how are they going to visualize that? How are they going to handle that? Um, and uh, so there, there's always a few scenes that jump out at you when you think about turning Narnia into movies. And to me, this kind of question of how do they handle the Rillian reveal, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty easy in a book when we we don't have our eyeballs, so... We're not going to realize that, wow, this prince looks a lot like the prince we saw in the flashback at the beginning. We are trying to find Prince Rillian of Narnia. Rillian? Narnia? 
strange names. Narnia, what land is that? I've never heard the name before. Must be a thousand leagues from those parts of the overworld that I know. What a strange fantasy to come searching for, how do you call him? Billion? Trillion? In my lady's realm. To my certain knowledge, there's never been such a man here. It's also easier in one of my other, my favorite adaptations of Silver Chair, the family radio theater version. Because mm-hmm. you have audio, and it's all an audio drama, so you don't have to deal with the visuals on that either. Exactly, exactly. How do you make it a surprise when he is revealed to be Rillian, when he calls on the name of Aslan and they go, oh my gosh, he, he must be Rillian, uh, per Aslan science, he must be Rillian. Um, you, how do you make that a surprise for the audience? And the route BBC has taken is to hide his face, and um, mm-hmm. that's supposed to make us um, not recognize him. And he looks different enough, and that's fine. Um, yeah. But uh, but the other question is, do you even? This is another question for an adaptation. Is do you make it a surprise when he calls in the name of Aslan? How much of a surprise is it? Because my memory, I don't remember my first reading of the book clearly, but I think I. I don't know if I picked Rillian out as the Black Knight, though many people do. Many people just seeing the Black Knight just go, oh, that's that's totally Rillian. Yeah, I didn't. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I did. I was a little tiny kid, granted. So, yeah, my faculty, my mental faculties had not fully matured. Uh huh. Even my mom, who never guesses the ending of movies, he's always shocked by every no matter how cliche the, the plot is. He's his father. Uh, yeah. No, no, um, <laughs> but even she was like, oh, well, uh, when the Black Knight appeared, she just goes, oh, well, that, that that was Rillian. Um, and so I don't remember <laughs> if I picked out if the Black Knight was Rillian, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, at the moment he appeared in Underland, it was like, okay, that's totally Rillian. It's so obvious. Why aren't the characters picking up on this? Now, in the book, to me, there's still drama about are they, first off, what happened to him? I still want to know where's he been all these years? It's been right. about 10 years, according to the book. Where Where's he been? I'm curious about to hear about where, what's been going on with him, what this the past 10 years have been like for him. And also, I'm understanding, are the characters going to actually follow Aslan's signs and set him free, even though there's a lot of reasons, like totally understandable if they didn't. So there's still drama there. It's not about, oh, it's Rillian. It's about, are the characters going to be able to be brave enough to set him free and follow Aslan's signs? Yeah. So it still works fine. And I think in the, in the book, and also somewhat here, there's a sense of, well... We really don't trust the lady of the green kirtle and this guy is defending her. Right. So he's, I mean, even if you could say, well, in the back of their minds, they're wondering if he's really in, he's clearly doesn't, he's clearly not uh-huh. on their side. And so there's no reason to throw caution to the wind. Right. No, I, I think it, it's not completely implausible that the characters in the story wouldn't find out who he is, but just as a reader, no, it's as so a like, reader, yeah, yeah, but so yeah, yes. as a reader, it's so obvious. It's like, why, why would they be spending? Why would Lewis be spending so much time on this character at this yeah. th- this late in the game? And and readers especially are always with, doing that. Readers uh, are always doing that. Like, I, I you always have to figure out. Oh well, I bet it's actually this guy. I bet it's actually. The, uh-huh. you're, you're constantly analyzing as you watch movies or read books. I remember one time as a little kid, you know, my, the the hobbits and Bree meet Strider. And I would go, oh, Dad, I bet it's actually Gandalf. I bet it's Gandalf. And this guy's like, it, it's not Gandalf. I'm like. I bet it's Gandalf that he's like, I know you can't see a picture here. It's not Gandalf. Okay. Like they can see his face. They know what Gandalf looks like. This guy looks different. Just trust me on this. It's not Gandalf. I'm like, oh, oh, oh okay. Okay. Because I'm like, who is the Strider guy? <laughs> you know, as like a six year old kid, you know, that was me. If it was me, I would have kept it up for the entire book. I would have been like, whoa, did it, maybe it's still Gandalf. I would have still, <laughs> but 
But uh, then big reveal when Gandalf and Strider are in the same place. What? But uh, yeah, there's just no. And you know, Lewis makes a big deal about you know, um, oh, I don't remember my former life. And oh, what's his name? Who are you looking for? Trillion? Billion? Billion? No, I've no, never heard of that before. Uh, now, I honestly, I am not sure what Lewis's intent was. Uh, was he intending it to really be? A total surprise. I don't know. I, I I'm not sure, but I, I I think the drama when the book works regardless, just fine, whether you pick it out or not, because there's still the drama of are the characters going to follow the signs. It's an interesting set of dialogue too, and you're trying to figure out, like for example, it, you can say, okay, he's under an enchantment, but it's still not clear what's going to happen. He's not asleep. Jill's not going to walk up and kiss him. You know, there's, right? Uh-huh. It's not clear. Like, well, here he is. He's talking to them and he has no memory. Even if they go, okay, this is going to be the Lost Prince. There's still the question of how it unfolds. But what is this evil enchantment you're under? I know not. Only that at a certain time every evening I become a changed man. I grow in fury and rage. And would kill even my dearest friend if he came close to me. And that is a spell with all the marks of a witch upon it. But by Her Majesty's art, I shall be free from this accursed mask and the bewitchment the moment she has made me king of that land and given me her hand in marriage in the overworld above. Yeah, part of me wonders if it was almost a mystery failed by Lewis. It, it, it might have been. And it, it, he's, he's mainly, th- he's primarily thinking of children too. And like you said, you were six and you didn't get it, right? Yeah, he was. he's thinking of children and... We also, uh, I'm not going to say that we analyze books more now than we people re- did back then because that almost acts like we're smarter now, which I don't believe to be the case. But there's certainly a case of cliches yeah. and reveals that are they're just indented into your mind, you know? Right. Like, that's why, you know, everyone laughs when Buzz Lightyear's fighting Lord Zed, I am your father. No! Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh, it's like, right. it's again, because everyone gets... So I think that there's right. part of that that does play into the modern reader. Maybe that wasn't as much the case in the 50s, 60s. Perhaps. Maybe we're, we're, ex- maybe we're exposed to more because of how available various forms of entertainment mm-hmm. are now. They're so disposable now. Maybe, we're more, we're, maybe it's harder to really uh, truly surprise us. And, we know, and we're, we've been surprised so many times. We're, kind of, we're on our guard for it. We're trying to find the strings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, BBC chose to give Rillian played by Richard Henders, they chose to give him a mask. And you could argue, I don't know if that makes it better or worse, because when you give him a mask, yeah. it's like, because, <laughs> because now you mask. know, well, now you know, oh, they're, they're, they're obviously trying to hide something. Now you're, like, it almost would have right. been better to just hope the audience didn't remember him from five episodes ago. I don't know. That's kind of an interesting look. It adds a menacing look, kind of an enchantment look. It's not bad. It's, yeah. I, but yeah, I, from a surprise standpoint, I think it does kind of make it worse. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it would almost be better if it's like, it just shows him and he's like, yeah, Billion, Trillion. I have no. I don't know. Don't know these names. Narnia. Don't know these names. See, at that point, I, I would rather have the audience, like, just go ahead and give up the whole. Yes, it's Trillion. Okay, because then we can think about what is this guy's deal? What's going on? I think. Yeah. I think that's more interesting. I do think it's more interesting, and I, I've thought about this sometimes with some movies. Like, I, I believe it. Believe it or not, I have never seen Titanic, but. People oh, your heart will go on. Don't worry about people it. People were engrossed in Titanic, even though they know the ship is going to sink. Uh huh. It's funny. It's one of those movies. That's, it's not that amazing a movie, but I've watched it more and more times, and it's grown on me. Uh, 
and it's public enemies with Johnny Depp and Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows when you watch the movie that Johnny Depp's character, John Dillinger dies at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. But what I like is that they don't play, they don't progress the movie as it's going to be the surprise. And this character dies. He's been spending all it's clear from the, the movie expects you to know that he's going to die. And it makes more sense watching it. And it's actually, it's, it's the best part of the movie is that last few scenes with the whole conclusion of the movie. And it plays better actually, if you know, cause it's not about whether he will die or not. It's about how are each, how are each characters processing what's going on and how is each of these characters There's really like four central characters throughout the story. But how are each of these characters reacting to and processing and making decisions as this thing that you know is going to happen uh, progresses. A friend of mine one time said, yeah, one, one time uh, it was this big like NCAA final game or something. And, or, and he said, no, you know, one ruined the game. Like, I got have it on back when TiVo was a thing. I have it on TiVo. No one. And someone blurred out. Oh no. Yeah. Well, then he was still on the edge of his seat because the other team was ahead by 20, 30 points. Uh-huh. He's like, what, how, how, how does this turn around? How are they going to pull this off? How are they going to pull it off? And he said it, it was a, a better game yeah, <laughs> because uh-huh, I knew the ending. Uh-huh. I think that's the way, the correct way to do this. And I think it would, that way the audience isn't like, okay, yeah, I, I know. Yeah, obviously, but I'm supposed to know that it's really in, but what's happening? And you're paying more attention to the right stuff at that point. Yeah. But you agree that like BBC, they seem, they seem to be taking the route of they want to hide the fact that it's really in from you. Right. That's why they have the mask. Yeah. That's why he has the beard. And yeah, they want They want to make it a, a, a big surprise. And I think they uh-huh. just know very few characters that look remotely like this guy. Furious in rage. Stay with me. Couple alternatives to just uh, a plastic mask um, that I uh, wanted to run past you. <laughs> that clearly breaks it apart. It looked like metal was, until he rips it It wasn't off. bad. It, I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad costume. It's fine. In fact, really quick, the design in this episode is solid overall. I love the silver chair that shot that's cool they open the door and it's like i mean other than the fact it's kind of a grainy film yeah it's an amazing looking shot not Mm -hmm. so much when he's like in it as much but just watching like it looks just like something lewis would imagine like this is a it's an enchanted chair and it's its sole purpose is to enslave someone's mind. I, I thought it was great. I completely agree. The, the visualization of the silver chair was great. I thought maybe having the the snake motif everywhere was a bit much. You see the little like the snake in the eyes in uh-huh. the stained glass. Uh huh. I never noticed it before. But it's in the stained glass when they're <laughs> oh, talking yeah, back and yeah. forth. There's like this uh-huh. crazy, almost cartoon snake eyes. But but I, no, but I, I should focus on the positive because I liked it. Yeah. I, I mean, in the, uh, Underland, maybe I would have preferred. Then be able to see less of it overall when they're when they first come to the city. I would have loved to have just been like they can hear so much, but they can see very little. That would have been more interesting. But I still enjoyed the design. Great atmosphere. I did like that first shot where it gives some kind of sense of scale. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I, I did like that because so much in these BBC movies seems kind of small. It was probably a matte painting, but it looked good. It looked pretty I- legit, and I, and I love the, you know the opening shot of the ship on the sunless sea and it's just except for the boat complete blackness love it and you know what netflix yeah. even if you have you know a hundred million dollars 
what BBC did is just fine. Don't give me this, you know, this super, uh, right. don't elaborate on the world and what they can see too much. Keep it black. Keep it mysterious. Keep it simple. This is a little off topic. I'm just going to say it real quick because I'm going to forget if I don't say it. I started watching this episode and then I did something. You're probably going to laugh. I paused it and rewatched the opening title and just thought, this is a really good looking kind of design for the opening title with the, like it's a cool map with the, with the smoke and like, and the song, the music just works. I thought this is, this is actually, this part was just really well done. I don't know. There's, it just reminded me that there are some real elements to these movies, shows, whatever you want to call them, that there's just moments that they, they genuinely cared, I think. And I think there was a lot of care and craftsmanship. Some, sh- some showed more than others. And some parts got more attention than others. But uh, yeah, there, there's certainly some real gems in these old shows. Yeah. When the we, we, we got to come back to the really in reveal, of course. But well, we're I know, t- well, 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 no, well, well, no, but I, I want, no, it's OK. I, I got us on to Underland. And I just want to say, um, yeah, I, I like the design overall. There's still a problem with the performances of, of the Earthmen. <laughs> I think it's just the design's pretty good. I thought you say a problem with performance of Rillian, but. Well, we'll get back to this one second, but uh, but again, I said my least favorite thing in the previous episode was the warden. That's probably still the case. And anytime we hear an Earthman talk, it's just wrong. Like they they should they just sound like normal British people from Narnia. And can we can we say though, I love the humor with Tom Baker. We were to go under the ruined city. Well, we have done. We most certainly are under it, and that means we're following Aslan's instructions again. Warden. Uh, uh, Mr. Warden. My name is Mulligatherum. Mr. Warden, have many others, have any other small land up atop done this trip? Props to that actor for saying, my name is Mulligatherum, or whatever it is. Um, it, 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 it is from the book. And he just says it so like, he, like it sounds like he delivers it as if, as if he's saying, I'm Batman. <laughs> just, like, it, it reminded me of uh, Sarty Bartfust in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But... I like how Mulligatherum is supposed to looks at him like, Mr. Warden. <laughs> <laughs> no, and Tom Baker does a, gr- a pretty good job in this episode. And in this episode, he's like the guide. He's actually like the guide again. He's solid. Cody pointed that out. Yeah, he's like, he's just way more the way Polygum should have been yes. all along. But as I think Cody also pointed out in the Facebook group, he almost seems like a totally different character here. It's like before he was such a coward and now he's so brave mm-hmm. uh, in the book. Willing to, to me, lay down his life for Eustace. And- yeah. Oh, that's a That's a great moment when he says, why don't you just kill me instead of Eustace? That's a moment that's not in the book. But he doesn't even say it in a cliche way. He says, well, you want, you want to die? Not particularly, but if it's a choice. Not especially, but. Yeah, and and Rillian is like impressed by how he says that, and it's like I think maybe he spares him for that reason. He still kind of screws around with him, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but in in the book, to me, when you see this Polyglum's bravery, it makes you reassess what you know about Polyglum. When you reread the Silver Chair, you realize he's always been the bravest one. He's yes. always been trying to put a bold face on it. I just cast him as a wet blanket. Whereas here, it seems like he's transformed into a different character because he was such a coward before. Yeah. Whereas in the book, you realize that you were blind like the children were. Right. You as the reader, it was there in front of you the whole time, but you couldn't see the character until your eyes are open really at the end of the book. Right. At least I think that's a common experience. Right. Okay. Back to really in here. I want to float a couple alternatives to the plastic mask as far as if you really want to hide really in. First thing they could do is make him make his transformation, not just mental, but also physical. 
So again, playing on the werewolf myth that Lewis is, or, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, the thing that Lewis is clearly kind of playing on with uh, the Rillian transformation. Like, could he also transform physically? Maybe he looks like one of the Earthmen or maybe something with his face or something like, so he's transformed physically. That might explain why they wouldn't recognize him, you know? They could they could play on that. So like at basically when he goes in the silver chair, he becomes he looks like normal Prince Rillian, but during the day or whatever you call it, during the regular hours, he looks like a monster or something like that. Um that might be that'd be the more extreme way to do it. Or the other idea I had would be what if you know it's about ten years in the book that Rillian is in captivity. Could you significantly increase that? Could you say it's more like thirty years? Say you cast a sixteen year old as young Rillian. And then more like a 46-year-old as older Rillian? I don't think that doing either would really... Well, I guess... It, okay, if you make it one of the Earthmen, I guess there's that. But if you go like the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hydra, it's like an ugly guy. They're going to go like, oh, is this guy under a spell? Why is he like, you know... Because people are still kind of... They're always thinking about something, you know? Yep. It's, and it's like the comic books. Are like, no one's ever dead. No one's ever... like You know, you could always... Someone can always be someone else. Someone can always be pretending to be. It's like the Mission Impossible. You just rip the mask off and there he is. So uh-huh. I think people are always second guessing. Maybe you could have a decoy. Maybe you could have, could you make people think that like, oh, this guy knows where Rillian is, you know, like, like have some misleading dialogue to make it seem like. The, the, yeah, you the, have to change the, the dialogue. The, you know, the, the, this guy's keeping Prince Rillian captive somewhere. Maybe you try to mislead the audience into thinking that. And no, just kidding. He is Prince Rillian. Maybe you do a thing where, you know, uh, Obi- Obi-Wan told Luke, you know, uh, he, he he betrayed and murdered your father. Well, I was it was a figure of speech, you know. Yeah. So could you do yeah. a thing where it's like, you know, oh, I hate Prince Rillian. I will make sure he never escapes. But what he means is I am Prince Rillian. <laughs> the only way to do it that way, I wouldn't recommend that way. I have a different idea. But the way that the only way I think you could do it, you'd have to introduce some dialogue, basically making people think that the witch um almost like a red herring like no the witch wants them to think this is really in but ah. actually it's not reverse reverse not psychology quite right <laughs> reverse psychology basically <laughs> where they're second guessing themselves well we think it could be really in but he's not acting quite right maybe it's someone else that's the only uh-huh. way i think you could play it that way yeah now, those are some alternatives if you were determined to make it a complete surprise but probably the way to go is to just say hey that's a losing battle let's just have mm-hmm. the characters immediately recognize them and maybe they walk in there and they see really and, and within within seconds you can think there's these cutaway shots where the characters kind of look at each other like is this really like immediately that's probably that's embrace it. it's probably the way to do it yeah well what i liked with the i'm i'm going off of memory here i feel like andrew adamson my, my memory of 20 years ago but the uh family radio theater version uh, the, because that actor played it very differently and I really liked his performance as really, but the way that he did it, if you've never heard it, basically, obviously it's all dial, uh, just audio. So there's no visual reveal or anything, but you can kind of tell this, okay, this is probably really in, but the way the actor played it from the dialogue outside the chair before he goes into this, is bound to the silver chair. And then during his time in the silver chair, 
he plays the, the character kind of acting insane both times. Hmm. Like one, he sounds mad, almost kind of laughing a lot and giddy and almost the kind of unhinged a little bit. And then when he's in the chair, he acts so mad with rage and fury, almost like he will kill them all if he's loose. Yeah, completely understandable why they would not want to cut him free, even if they thought he was really in. Yeah, he doesn't act docile and calm in the chair. He acts, he's like the actors are kind of foaming at the mouth in the chair. And Cody pointed that out too in the Facebook group. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that would be one way to do it where you make the audience kind of question, well, which one is the least crazy? Right. Well, you you, you hinted that you're not a a big fan of Richard Hender's performances, really. And, um, yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not alone in the Facebook group. Uh, Cody and Calvin and others mentioned not liking how, what they've done with Rillian. It just here. felt like overacting. Isn't it comical to think of all of them going about their business and never dreaming that under their peaceful fields and floors, only a fathom down, is a great army about to break out upon them like a fountain? <laughs> I don't think it's funny at all. You sound to me as though you'll be a wicked tyrant. What? <laughs> The little maid, a deep politician. Never fear, sweet one. I shall rule that land by the counsel of my lady. And I think that it is—it's hard to get some actors who can. It's a very Shakespearean set of dialogue. Which the book even says that he looked kind of like Hamlet. Yes, <laughs> and it's—it's it's obviously supposed to be that kind of character, like almost a little bit mad, like Hamlet, mm-hmm. and. There are actors who can take Shakespeare dialogue and just make it sound natural. Uh, Kenneth Branagh is one of the be- one of the best. Ralph Fiennes is also very good, but I I just don't know that this guy pulled it off. It sounded kind of stilted. It didn't sound like it was him talking. I think I think what they're they're trying to do with really I I, I hear you I hear you on the overacting, but I will say I think the characters would like in universe would kind of agree with you. They're like, what's this guy's problem? And I think what they're going for, uh, success, successfully or not, what they're going for is this guy is so he's unhinged. He can change channels immediately. He could be happy, and then he's all of a sudden he's going to kill you. And the one one of the reasons they're doing that is so that he's he's delivering all this exposition, and they want to keep the tension on. Like, right. you know, like at any moment he could just dart across the room and, and slit your throat at any second. Mm-hmm. And so I think that helps keep the tension on when he's delivering all this exposition. And also, I just think this kind of guy that can just change so drastically and abruptly, you just absolutely can't trust him when he's in the silver chair saying, no, but now I'm real. Now I'm real. And he's changing yet again. It just seems like this is just more of the same. Mm-hmm. So I think they're that, that's kind of what they're trying to do. They're trying to set this up as a character that they don't want to uh, release, even though he's you know he seems so yeah. sane and sympathetic, and when he's in the chair, which which I agree is a departure from kind of how, how yeah. he seems to sound in the book. I, I think it's just it, it's a little, I guess, and I I can appreciate some of what he was trying to do. I think before when he's in the chair, I found it uh, he seems so docile. Almost. You have hearts of stone. You look upon a wretched who suffered almost more than any mortal can bear. The hours are slipping by. Save me now. When these hours have passed, I shall be witless again. 
I, I love the, like, again, in the family radio theater version, the line where he says, I am your mortal enemy else. Yeah. He, in that line, he sounds like he, he will, he, like, he will just kill them all if he gets free and they don't help him. Uh-huh. You completely understand why, even when he says the, the, the words of the sign, as Scrub calls it, even if they thought he was really in, maybe they still wouldn't cut him free, I think is, is understandable in the book. Does Puddleglum say... Did he say the line, Aslan didn't say what would happen if we followed the signs? Yeah, so, yep, yep, that's straight from the book. Yeah, he, you see, Aslan didn't tell Paul what would happen. He only told her what to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I will say this. This was one of those, because the dialogue is very, very close to the book. It, a lot of it's just lifted from the pages. Yes. And in this scene with the flow and everything, I thought it worked really well. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I didn't always like the delivery, but I, I like the dialogue in, in this scene. Uh-huh. And I love moments like that. Uh, because it is a great moment and it heightens the tension as well because yeah. Puddle Glum acknowledges in his heart they maybe they do die. It doesn't mean that they're going to, his yeah. Aslan's good, but he's not safe. Uh-huh. I agree. That's one of my favorite lines in the series. And so I, I like that they kept that, I like that they kept that, that part in there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so important for, I don't know how it plays with the character Puddle Glum in BBC, but um, in the books, it's like Puddle Glum, he is this, hey, that's just the way it is, and things are the way they are, and you just have to put put a bold face on it. And so for him, it's like, okay, we have to follow Aslan's signs, and mm-hmm. we just have to do the best we can with it. To him, not following them wasn't an option. Well, he's more concerned about his moral duty than the consequences. Ex- exactly. I want to talk about some good performances. Shout out to Camilla Powers. Uh, mm-hmm. When she is, seems like she's being drawn in by Rillian, and she's slowly inching towards him. And she's just got this look of such pity on her face. I completely bought it that she could be that she was being drawn in by uh, um, by him. I thought that was very believable. I didn't think it was believable when Rillian manages to grab her yeah. and scrub and Puddleglum especially are just kind of standing there like, huh? Okay. <laughs> it's kind of a missed opportunity because it, it would be a good moment to build again, build that tension where he tries to lure her in and then he's like tricking her and he grabs her. Yeah. And then you're uh-huh. like, oh, well, this guy is not saying now uh-huh. either, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, by the way, plastic mask, also plastic chair, <laughs> apparently, because apparently. now that he actually gets the prince actually gets one of his hands free and like, well, at that point, can't he just undo the buckles himself? Because that's all that's all Puddle Glum does. Puddle Glum's not doing a whole lot to undo these clasps. He's just yeah. like snap, snap. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure the toy plastic toy binders from Target are harder to <laughs> harder to undo. It's. Uh, I mean, in the book, they actually scrub and Polyglum cut them with their swords. It makes a lot more sense. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, uh, I do agree, especially now the way you're putting it. That in the in the the the, the radio theater version of Rillian being trapped in the chair is um, closer to the book, where he still seems crazy. He's still mm-hmm. scary, and here. As I think Rillian and, and or Cody and Calvin pointed out, yeah, it's pretty obvious he's a nice guy and you feel terrible for him. Yeah. And they should be playing up trying to make this the choice to take him out of the chair as difficult as possible. Nevertheless, I still found the scene fairly moving, mainly maybe most mostly because of Camilla Powers. Um, I thought uh when she was being drawn in, that was really moving for me. And I was just really looking at her the entire time. Um so she's not how I picture Jill, but she is a good Jill, certainly for this series. I think she's a good Jill, and I think mm-hmm. she's probably she might be my favorite of all the child actors in these. Yeah, I did like Samuel West's Caspian, although I don't really consider him a child actor. 
but I, I think her the close second for her would be Eustace. I was about to say, I think David Thwaites. David Thwaites, is, he's better at Eustace in, in Silverchair than he is in Don Dreader. Yeah, he's he's good in both. I, w- I will say um, what I'm in. I really like this kind of subtle giving Eustace a sense of defiance. They kind of added to the character mm-hmm. at the end of the previous episode when they first get into the boat to cross the yep. Sunless Sea. He says, I- I'm not sailing under her banner. And then when they get off the the ship where they finally cross, he's like, get your hands off me. And he kind of sounds a little bit like the old Eustace, but we know that he's got, there's a sense of honor behind it. And what I think is so impressive about David Thwaites' performance, maybe more so than Will Poulter, now that he got as much of a chance, but David Thwaites, he plays pre-dragon and post-dragon Eustace. They are noticeably different, but also clearly the same character. Exactly. He, he's the same character all the way through, but he's changed. Whereas Will yes. Poulter is kind of like he wakes up from being a dragon and he's just a, 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 he's a totally different per, He's basically a different character. And he basically has one line of, well, one scene with dialogue. Yeah. So again, Will Poulter is a great actor. He's not given as much to do in Don Shredder. Yeah. No, that's what I like is that this one, it's like, okay, he goes through a transformation, but yes, it's not like he's an actor playing one character and then the actor playing a different character, he's playing the same character along Uh this journey. Yeah. And I think that comes out, especially here where there's moments where he kind of sounds like the pre-dragon Eustace, but with a a sense of honor. And so I thought that was Mm -hmm. a great bit of acting. So I agree. Yeah. Camilla Powers, David Thwaites, uh, the best performances in the series. Uh, Anything else in particular I want to point out? Do you want to talk about the witch's entrance? Well, yes, the witch comes in. It was funny. Yeah, guys, Rillian gets out of the chair and he's like, okay. And they say something like, how are we going to escape her? And he's like, it will require cunning. And he (laughs) dashes at the speed of light off towards the door. Oh, that wasn't very cunning. (laughs) Running right into the main villain. Um, How dare you destroy the silver chair? She had the vibrato. Uh uh Well, well, speaking of the Lady of the Green Colonel, quick question. How do you feel about the decision? They They have several cutaways. To the witch, they show her with a whip. They show her, you know, clearly being a tyrant. That's not in the book. You must work the harder. I am determined to break through to the overworld as soon as possible. What it adds more so than the book, it adds a ticking clock element. It adds a, well, she's probably going to be coming back pretty soon. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing it does that's good for this episode. But I kind of wonder what's it going to do for the next episode. Like, I don't know. I I still like having that 1% reason to doubt that maybe she's not such a bad person. We know it, but just having that 1%, but we've never actually seen her be bad. Right. Helps you get into the characters' heads a bit more when they're trying to doubt the sun ever existed and all that. Barbara Kellerman, it's, it's like she does the same thing as the White Witch, where you're like, boy, you, boy, Edmund's dumb. Like she has the the whole Greta Thunberg, how dare you? You know, it's you're like, right. In the book, she has this kind of look of shock, but then she regains. Then she regains her composure. She quickly regains composure. Whereas yeah. here, it's almost like the uh, it's like the get smart line where he looks at the back, like, how dare you, Jasper? He looks back at the back of the plane. <gasps> he's like enormous villain and stuff and like you see his face you see his face he's a bad guy it's like i understand like i I don't again i don't think that they should take the route of really trying to convince the audience that no the lady the green curl is actually nice and make it a surprise when she's evil but gosh make it somewhat credible that the characters could be pulled in you've completely 
You've completely blown it right right out of the gate. You've you've blown it and said <laughs> to- totally clearly unhinged. But I guess we'll get more into that into the, into the next one, which will be the last episode. So the, they've got, I think they've got a lot to cover in the last episode. I thought this episode was going to end with them basically killing the witch and trying to escape, but not getting back. And then the next episode would have them being welcomed back into Narnia and the centaurs and meeting Aslan again and then Caspian and the reunion and the bullies and all that. I, I was like, yeah, maybe they'll go Prince Caspian speed in the next episode. <laughs> They've got to have the lady, the green Kirtle try to deceive them, fail, turn into a snake, die. Have Puddleglum's speech. Yeah. Puddleglum's got to have his moment. They've got to, you know, escape underland. And I, I don't think they're going to go into describing Bism and all that. They'll probably just leave, but then they've got to maybe have a snow dance. I doubt it. Oh, you don't remember how they do Bism? Oh, you know what? I do. I do. <laughs> oh my gosh, we will. <laughs> anyway, they got, a, they, we've got. We've got a lot. Oh, I do remember how they do it. Oh man, <laughs> suicidal undermen. Underworld. Hopefully, bed. there are some uh, <laughs> positive things <laughs> besides Bism in the next episode. This what happens when you like who will be completely faithful. We'll include we'll include a whole scene and like you know what guys we got to cut this scene by like this five minute scene. You can keep ten seconds of this five minute scene. Okay, we'll keep ten seconds. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. But so join us next time for the last time as we finally wrap up this epic discussion of the BBC Narnia series. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Talking Beast, the Narnia podcast. Visit narniweb.com to join our community and stay up to date on the latest Narnia news. Please post a comment or question below or in the Talking Beast Facebook group. Special thanks to all of our Patreon supporters, especially our Knights of Narnia Web. Until next time, further up and further in. Further in.